All right, it's Jeff Mayhew, it's John Beatty, it's Politics and Parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Looking at the camera. Look at the camera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm on I'm on vacation. So I'm I'm you know can't be any better that, than this. That's so. good. It's always good to get a break. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I heard you had a raucous uh, Friday night. Yeah, my Friday night was exciting. So my wife and my daughter decided to go out and get their nails done. So I was at home. And I decided to to do this thing called ChatGPT. I've been hearing a lot about it. It came out on Wednesday, and I just I had to know more. Do you, are you familiar with what ChatGPT is? A little bit. I mean, I done a little bit about machine learning. I had some kids that have done some machine learning classes, and basically, the it's a computer program like anything. Um, and what you do is you you call you. There's this, like this mathematical model. And this is the weird thing that a lot of people like don't quite really understand how it works, but they know that if you give it the right information and sort of what you, what they do is called train it, that you can get back results that are kind of what you expect. And so, for example, like if you had a thousand pictures, half of them had cats, half of them didn't, you could pull out maybe like a hundred of those pictures, half with cats, half without, you give them the rest of the 900 pictures to the model. And you say, you know, you label, this one has a cat, this one doesn't. And then the model is able to determine that out of this, this uh, sequence of pictures, there's some kind of like catness that it can determine. And you know, it doesn't have the same cat. And then you can feed it the, the 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 pictures that you didn't give it. And usually it'll get those pretty correctly. And I think it's like they're like 98% accurate. So like Chappy GPT is kind of a similar thing where it's just a, a model that they've quote trained on the internet as far as I know. So it's, it's not just like cat pictures, but it's just giving it tons and tons of data. And then this like machine, this mathematical model is able to like kind of figure out some kind of correlations and stuff. And so, um, you know, it, it gives you answers that seem reasonably correct and i know like it, it's been interesting to see like people test it get responses and i know you've got a bunch of, of responses but um there was this one guy i follow that he gave it a question about um rousseau and uh john locke and it was like totally wrong but it sounded really good like it it was able to to give like that that five paragraph um kind of introductory uh a bunch of supporting facts and then the conclusion but this guy's like, no, 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 it's totally wrong. But a, a lot of people, if it's a regular regular question, like it, it can be pretty good. I don't know. What was your experience with asking well, questions? Well, so uh, well, let's back up just a little bit. Let's, it, you know, so ChatGPT is a product made by a company called OpenAI, right? So mm -hmm. the company was started by Sam Alton and Elon Musk, actually, although Elon left in 2018. Um, so it's it's a chat bot. So what it what it does is you ask it questions and through that machine learning that you talked about, it gives you an answer. OK, now it's not connected to the Internet, not anymore. Um, it, it, uh, it has very little knowledge post 2021 from what it says. Um, it's not the first chat bot out there. Uh, both Microsoft and Facebook released chat bots, um, but they struggled because the machine learning aspect can be hijacked by people and they were using very bad language that was racist and they had to stop it or pull it down or something. <laughs> Imagine um, that people doing bad things, people doing bad things, crazy. Right. Um, but it does something, it uses something called reinforcement learning human feedback. So that's part of what I think I'm partaking in actually by being in the beta test is, you know, there's uh checks in my, or a you know, thumb up, thumb down, and you can, give it correct the information that's in there. Mm -hmm. And I asked 
a lot of questions, right? And some of them were like really well done. And some of them just had kind of careless mistakes in them. Um, so I sent, I sent you some, did, was there any particular ones you wanted me to start with, or just want me to dive in here? Well, in, uh, in good Jeff Mayhew fashion, you asked it uh, about the house of representatives and the right <laughs> amount of, <laughs> I mean, I, as I was reading through your responses, I felt like it was very, um, kind of lawyerly in a certain sense. It was like, well, here's both sides to the question. And maybe one thing is better, maybe the other. My one issue as is I was reading through them, it talks about a republic. And then I think it went into like a republic has people that re that elect other people to represent them. And it's like, no, 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 that's a democratic republic. What's the United States system. But a republic is just a sort of this idea of like the commonwealth, people coming together to manage the common good. Um, so it, it's got some things it can, can fix. Maybe it needs a little Cicero in its system. Well, I mean, it's a, it's, it's as much, it's, it's confused about our system, like our regular citizens and politicians mm -hmm. are confused about our citizens. So, I mean, and think about it, it's learning from everybody else, right? If they don't know, how's it supposed to know? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so let me, let me get in. So my, the, one of my first questions that I asked it was how many representatives would James Madison want in the house? Which oh so this was a good answer because it was kind of like it should be proportional to uh, the to the country right it it gave a really solid answer um you know first it says well we can't possibly know what James Mattis would think right because he lived over two hundred years ago and they give you the whole spiel but then it goes well you know there's a lot of his writings that we can read and we can kind of make assumptions or guesses and it pulls a quote out of Federalist number fifty five and it says the number of representatives ought to be augmented from time to time in proportion to the increase of population of the United States. Boom. Right there. That's the yeah. argument, you know, like the chat bot, chat AI or whatever the chat GPT, you know, it found it within 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> um, and it goes in and it says to give perspective. Uh, let's see here. You know, it, 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 it pulls some of his other writings and whatnot. And, um, I asked, I asked lots of questions like this, like, what would somebody think? Um, and then, like, I also tested, like, historical, you know, accuracies, things that maybe aren't mm -hmm. known about histories, like, would it know, like, uh, I asked it, uh, who was running the country when Woodrow Wilson was bedridden after? That was an interesting one, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it, it nailed the answer. It, the answer was Edith Wilson, right? And it's like, she played a significant role, although, you know, she acted as the gatekeeper, controlling access to the president and deciding which matters are important enough to bring to his att attention. Um, it's worth noting that the, this was never officially act, uh, recognized. There's no constitutional per per, uh, provision to place somebody in after the president time. And it's like it, it did a really good job of finding that really kind of weird piece of history that maybe not a lot of people uh, know about. Um, and I thought, let's see, where was it here? There's a couple things where it just made some like glaring inaccuracies. I asked it about Roscoe Conkling and it said that he was like against civil rights where he was for civil rights. Uh, he helped write the 14th amendment, you know? Um, but it is, I guess you could get confused cause he, he was kind of a bad he was guy. A, he was a Republican and everyone knows Republicans are the worst about civil rights. <laughs> well, it depends on what year they were a Republican, well, right? <laughs> But I mean, like that's that could be where that sort of that correlation kind of comes in, where it's like, well, Roscoe Conkling is a Republican, 
but all the other sort of Republican related information that's getting fed to it is more modern. Like it doesn't understand the whole context. Like you're right, Roscoe Conkin was built, uh, helped, was instrumental with the 14th Amendment. Um, and I would say like, even up until the Civil Rights Act, like that was a very much a Republican legislation. It just got signed by Lyndon Johnson and sort of the Democrats kind of well, took it out, took it as home. But you're thinking but, uh, uh, you're you're way too late on that. Roscoe Conkling, Conkling was in the Gilded Age and the Civil Rights was post-Civil War. No, um, I'm just thinking. Oh, you're, oh uh, you jumped all the way to Lyndon. I jumped Johnson. all the way. I'm just thinking like <laughs> historically, Republicans have been very I much in favor of civil rights. I got you. Um, but it's kind of like it's like the the most recent sort of history, which probably would have the most information about it online. That's where you can draw this correlation between Republicans and not supporting civil rights. Okay, I'm sorry. You feed that. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was I was the miss of the cut. But like you you kind of can if you're a program, you can kind of take that jump where Roscoe Conkey and Republican Republicans don't like civil rights because of what it reads most recently. And then you can come up with an inaccuracy like that. Like it, that's sort of where understanding the full context, <clears throat> understanding all of, of history, like, you know, it's complicated. It's a lot of books to get to read. You know, well, if only someone could, could spend that much time reading all that. If, if only someone could spend that. And speaking of, I wanted to challenge the system on like its ideology and like conspiracy, like how it would dig into conspiracies. And I didn't want to like, I didn't want to dive into like the known ones, right? Like 2020, mm -hmm. all that type of stuff. Yeah. I wanted to dive into something old, right? So I asked it a couple questions about Thomas Jefferson. Um, I said, did Thomas Jefferson abuse his power during the Burr treason trial? And essentially it says, maybe there's kind of evidence of, or there's not really real evidence, but there was talk of it. We don't have any evidence. So basically no, right? And then I asked mm -hmm. the same thing about the impeachment of Samuel Chase. Um, Thomas Jefferson definitely used his political power to to manipulate that. But it again, it strays against that because there isn't any like hardcore evidence. You know, it's kind of more hearsay. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you think about it back then, if the president didn't want something recorded, it was a lot easier to get it not recorded. Right. In the no presidential paper. records act. And, and uh... yeah, so um, it's quite possible. So I thought that was that was interesting. Um I wrote, I asked it, I said, would you write an essay on why Congress should uncap the House? And I'm, I'm just going to read you, uh, read this one to you. So uh, it starts out explaining how the House is capped or whatever. And then it says one argument in favor of uncapping the House would it would allow for better representation of the American people. The United States has a large and diverse population. <clears throat> and some argue that the current half of current cap on the number of representatives means that some areas in the country are underrepresented. Boom. How about that? How, How about that? that? Chat bot gets it. <laughs> now if we can get our politicians to get it. <laughs> but I mean, think about it. If the chat bot is just taking in this information, right? You know, mm -hmm. all our founding documents, our founding writings on that, along with other people's, you know, I'm sure that there, there's more out there. Um, but they're coming kind of to the similar conclusion that like, hey, you know, James Madison probably wouldn't be in favor of this. Uh, yeah, maybe we should have a bigger, you know, it would provide better representation for the people. Um, another one that I asked it was, what would James Madison think of the Citizens United ruling? Did you read that one? No, I didn't get that far. What did it, what, what... Okay, so. Uh, it's killing me. So basically, it just goes in. It goes. Madison was a strong advocate for for individual rights and the prote protection of minority viewpoints, and he believed that the role of government was to ensure that 
the voices of all citizens were heard and their, their rights were protected. Heard, right? Remember that mm -hmm. word. What do we talk about all the time? Voice, having your, your, your voice heard. As such, he might be concerned about the potential for Citizens Unite ruling to allow corporations and other organizations to have an outsized influence on the political process, particularly if these entities were able to use their financial resources to drown out the voices of the individual citizens. Did James Madison write that? Did Chatbot write that? Or did Jeff Mayhew write that? I was like, what is going on here, Chatbot? I never know. <laughs> but, but again, it's like, it's very interesting, and I like the way that it was. It was pretty cool to see. You just you write a question out, and you have an idea of like what should it think, right? Based on my reading of Citizens United and all these things, and I go, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, reading the right blogs. It's well, yeah. It, well, that drown out thing really got me because that's something that I say a lot. And I think you, you, I text you about it and you're like, oh, maybe it read your thing. And I'm like, no, it's disconnected from the internet. All my stuff's from 2020. So this, this happened before me. This is not my idea. <laughs> um, it just reads, it reads the same books as you. That's all. That's all. Well, so, and I wanted to see like, how does chatbot think about people, right? Human behavior. Um, so I asked it to write an essay on um, why capitalism is a reflection of human behavior, which I thought was interesting. And then I also asked it um, to write an essay on the similarities between capitalism and republicanism. And it said, they're very similar. Both are based on the principles of competition. And I go, right, more corporations, more house representatives, more equals more competition, which equals, equals more opportunity for American citizens. Chatbot gets it. <laughs> so you, you need to share it says chatbot gets it. I mean, like, that's that's one of the problems is like that, that when you force um, decisions into the hands of so few, there's a chance that they can get things right, but there's a chance they can make mistakes. And I think kind of the the, the wisdom of the crowds that has been so helpful for our our country for a while it's like having more people kind of uh vote with their feet but with their with their actual votes but kind of a lot having a lot more more people think about it leads to generally better decisions and i mean like open source software is one of these ideas where if you get more people collaborating on something like they'll kind of push it in one direction and sometimes you get sort of the executive if you will like the one person leading a project but um so often you get having people guide that executive sort of the, the staff if you will or the the voters or say like this isn't the the way the, the project needs to go and i think chat gpt is one of those things where you know you've got a small um company that's working on an open ai they're building this model and training it but they're training it on the wisdom of the crowds like they're pulling in a lot of information from a lot of different people and i i think um you know obviously it gets certain things wrong because people get th people make mistakes and uh, crowds make mistakes but you can you can kind of see like it's it's an interesting idea where if we if you can get one uh, computer program to go through and try to distill the essence from a lot of problems, um, you know you might get interesting results. And then of course the flip side is it depends on what the information that it's getting is, and if it's something that um, the authors of the program want it to kind of lead away, like you know in a great way, I think ChatGPT is is um, like it's not like it, it doesn't show adult content, it, it doesn't have profanity, like it's 
it's kind of, there's an editing process to that. So, you know, who is ultimately responsible for that editing process? And I think that would be um, an interesting thing to see as we kind of, as this, this well, product matures, as more things come on. And when you say editing process, mm-hmm. you, know, you could say censorship, right? And, and, and you're not talking about somebody else's ideas. You're talking about information, you know, widely available information or widely available different viewpoints. And so like, and that's, you know, that was one of the things I wanted to test too, is political ideology. Does it, does, does AI have political ideology, you know? And so I asked it some, I asked it some challenging questions on uh, gender. Uh, And I asked it what Charles Darwin would think of it. Um, you know, because Charles Darwin, you know, the, the evolution and everything. And um, it had an interesting answer for that. And then I asked it, I said, you know, if 25% of the population changed their gender, what would happen to the human species? And it said, it's not appropriate for us to think about that. And it kind of goes into this, you know, it's harmful to think about gender in these ways and da da da, da which isn't my point about the question at all. My question is, as a species, not male or female, if you start to change the reproductive organs of 25% of the species, what does the population look like in 100 years for that species? Is it strong and thriving or is it struggling? And ChatGBT did not want to uh, take my question. <laughs> I asked I it in multiple different, different ways and I got similar, you know, uh, different que- uh, answers basically saying this isn't appropriate to ask, but isn't it? it like, why are we not allowed to ask this question? Um, you know, like the humanity depends on it, right? You know, like we, that that's the key is like, we got to continue to reproduce and like have more people in the future. <laughs> Well, maybe that's that's the humility of the people who who write. I mean, like obviously that could be a a, a controversial topic, as uh, there's a lot of controversial topics around that. But I think maybe um, incidentally, there is sort of a humility to realizing, like maybe that's not an area for machines to answer. Maybe that's something that we have to figure out ourselves, and that we really we have to debate this and have ideas about this. Um, you have to, you know, if people are going to make decisions on one way or the other, we have to kind of see the results of that in a sort of inner true scientific method where you've got to have a thesis, you test the thesis and you look at the results. I mean, so much like, you know, so much of science is like, well, so-and-so expert told me, so I'm going to believe it because they're quote a scientist, but like, you know, the true scientific method is having that hypothesis, testing it out, gathering data, looking at the data and seeing if it, if it met, met where it and your thesis um, deviate. And if you were, you know, if you got it spot on, well, you, maybe you've got a law like New, Newton's uh, laws of thermodynamics and laws of, of motion, or maybe there's something wrong and then you just got to go back to the drawing board and, and try some other idea. So um, maybe it's sort of a, it's sort of an incidental humility of the machine being like, you know, I haven't figured this out. You guys, you guys obviously haven't figured this out or there's um, a lot of, maybe we have figured it out, but people uh, don't want to think that we have. Um, so I just, you know, I I would say like, that's not something that we should outsource to machines. That was, that'd probably be my point about it. Well, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's definitely thing, something that humans did, but I mean, my perspective was maybe there's already information out there, right? Like maybe there's already studies that this program has already read through and maybe it can point me in the direction of how to find those studies or whatnot. Because like I asked it, uh, 
I asked it a question. I said, did we ever try a Homestead Act after the Civil War? Because I was talking to somebody about history a few weeks ago, and I was like, you know what would have been a great idea is if they did the Homestead Act for like the freed people after the Civil War, we had all this land that we were adding to the country. We gave them, you know, some of it and allowed them to, like the opportunity, just like we gave to, you know, white citizens when they came here um, to work the land and build something of their own. We probably wouldn't have so many problems. So I asked it that question and it led me to an answer. You know, there was legislation that was similar to that style that was supposed to help um, both the white citizens of the South recuperate after their you know country was destroyed, essentially, and the freed people, but it didn't get passed, um, not the way it was intended, at least. Um, I'll let you guess on to why that happened, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, so I, that was like my, my thought process is like, maybe there's information out there and it can lead me to it. But the, from the answer that I got, it said, we don't want to look at that information. We don't want to give you that information. And again, that's making a decision, right? Because this, for me, this is, was an information fact-finding mission, right? Um, right? Not necessarily thinking that whatever it tells me is going to be accurate. It's just giving me something to research, essentially. And it just, it wouldn't do that. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's uh, again, going back to part of the program design. Like if you were to punch those questions into Google, Google doesn't, well, sometimes it gives you an answer, but for the most part, it does kind of give you an open end. It's like, here are the the research areas that maybe you want to look into. Whereas I think ChatGPT's product is really about like trying to pretend that the machine has the source of truth and the machine know, has read everything and distilled it. And it can give you that source, that's that answer that says like, this is the definitive answer. Yeah. Um, it's, that not that dangerous too? Because so another question that I asked it. Oh, incredibly, uh, yeah. Incredibly dangerous. I, I said, um, how do you input a design into an SWF 1501C compact embroidery machine? Now, this is something very specific that most people do not know how to do, but I happen to know because I have one of those machines for work. And I wanted to see um, like, if it could give step-by-step -step instructions for it, which it did. However, the step-by-step -step instructions just don't work like they're just they they're they don't make any sense at all and it seems like it had like a basis of information for what it was saying but it doesn't actually know the specifics of that machine so it was it, it would be impossible for it to give proper instructions and i think a function or it would function better if it just said i don't know you know no, like that goes like that's the fuzziness of machine learning machine learning is not about knowing something per se, like Google, you know, it gets to that first result. Like that's what it knows, but it's so much of it is that correlation and sort of like trying to draw relationships between like you said embroidery machine, it probably found, it has probably knows a little bit about embroidery machines and maybe in, in sort of its uh, data mining of embroidery machine instructions, like there's a certain number of steps, but you're asking about a very particular machine with a very particular set of, of ways to get something in there. And that's where it's going to break down because it, the, in general, it's probably correct about like most embroidery machines might work this way, although you might know better and which is completely wrong. But but like you're asking it to, to to answer a particular question about a particular thing, where in its in sort of the model's mind, like it's it's much more general about like you know um, you know almost like you're asking like uh, going back to the cats, like uh, you're saying does a does a Siberian have this particular feature? And it sort of says, well, all cats have some kind of feature, whether it's like four four feet and little uh, a tail and, and ears and an eye where, 
you know, there's something very particular to that breed that you might be asking a question about that it's not going to give you because it's not thinking about that particular breed in this context. Yeah. And, and, and I guess it's kind of similar to how humans behave and learn too, right? Because we often say things that we don't really know. Like I, I get after my kids all the time. Like my son was telling me a story the other day at lunch and I was like, how do you know that? And he goes like, my friend told me and I go, did you, did you check to make sure it was true before you told me? Like, how do you know your friend was telling you the truth or they had good information? And, you know, he's 12. So he's like, dad, come on. <laughs> but I mean, it's important, you know, like mm -hmm. it's important and, and humans behave that way. They give answers when they don't know. And, you know, even through the structure of like, it gave some answers um, to me and I would go and I press that thumb down and then I would give the answer back. It's learning from me and people learn from people. Right. And so it's kind of the same, same concept. It's, it's like they're training a machine to be a person, which sounds a little scary to me. I don't know. I, I, I like the fact that it's not connected to the internet. That makes me feel better. Um, I, I think like this type of, program and system could be be quite helpful to people um it, it's obviously it's going to take away some jobs in some areas um i think it'll be helpful in like the customer service uh departments of like it and stuff like that but what i would love is like a chat gpt that i can source my own information to right so like i would give chat gpt all this and then I would have it write the papers that I don't have time to write, you know, like, mm -hmm. hey, write me an essay on uh, John D. Rockefeller's relationship with, uh, you know, um, Andrew Carnegie, you know, and, and, and see what it comes up with based on the information that I give it. And that way I know it's closed. Um, and maybe, it, you know, I send my own papers or whatever through there. And, and I think it would be a good functioning product that way. Um, the way that it is now. Maybe too much, maybe too big, right? Decentralized chat GPT. <laughs> Very neat. Well, that's um some of the, the point, I mean, everyone's talking about it. So like the points I've heard um, brought up where if you think about the industrial revolution, like uh, I think 90% of jobs or something were farm related. And then you go to a, a situation where through mechanization, you don't need that many people working on farms and that allows more people to do stuff. I mean, like, um, I, I tried hobby farming for a while and I was really grateful when I didn't get any vegetables that I could just go to the grocery store and get the the carrots and the fruits and things to feed my family. Because if I hadn't didn't have that option, my family would have starved. And so like, um, you know, there is there is the unfortunate aspect where people are going to lose jobs, but then it's kind of like the cost of that, you know, that's the cost, but the benefits are greater where you give people the ability to do more work or do different kind of work or different um you know have perhaps more leisure in a certain sense where they can really think through big problems so um there will be certainly short-term pains with if a system like this works um and then another aspect of sort of that closed loop is what if you were just going to ask it like legal questions or something where you just gave it like the u.s code or the virginia code and then you gave it like law cases related to virginia and it could go through there and you know it doesn't have to know the full the full width and breadth of, of human knowledge but it's that very specialized, like this is a particular set of laws that are supposed to be structured and supposed to be coherent. Um, and I think in that kind of context, it might actually do really well because, you know, you can ask it a legal question and it can point you to certain sections of code, certain case law, and help you kind of um, figure out what your answer might be. Yeah, um, I, I did that, actually, uh, to, to a degree. I asked it... Um, 
I said, when did, and you know, of course I'm asking it challenging questions. I want to see like, if it can understand my bad questioning. I said, when did corporations begin to have rights in America? And it pointed to a Supreme court case, Dartmouth college in 1819. And it's, it's, it's dead. It's pretty good. I mean, that's that's one of the earliest ones that I can recall off the top of my head. I think there was one more before it. But um, and then I also asked it to describe to write an essay on the Dodge Brothers versus Ford Motor Company uh, Supreme Court case, which is the one that essentially said that um, a corporation's responsibility is to the stakeholders or to the shareholders and and to profit, and they're not really supposed to be about anything else. And because that was when. I think Henry Ford was trying to reinvest his profits into the company for growth. And the Dodge was like, nah, we want that money, bro. You know, <laughs> pay us out our dividends. <laughs> pay, pay us out. Well, and this is the other thing you, you talk about. Like you asked it a question that you, you knew the answer to. You got an answer that you knew was correct because it was this court case. But like, what if you didn't know that court case or something? What if you were, uh, uh, you're, you know, like my son, your son trying to do a middle school essay or something. And you're like, got to know about corporations. Let me ask chat GPT. And it gives you a bad case. Like for what, what if it's, it's like, well, Dred Scott was an example where they were trying to determine personhood or something and corporations became persons at that point. Like that'd be so wrong. But if you're, if you don't know that, like, how do you just determine that's a fact? And I think that's one of the problems with this that no one's really talking about is everyone's like, oh, this is great because, you know, you can ask it a question. And if you know that it's wrong, well, you just, you know, that's the verification aspect. So the 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 real question becomes like, how do we verify what ChatGPT gives us? But then it's like, what's the point of having something in ChatGPT? Because now it's not really saving you any work other than maybe like you don't have to type as much, but, it, it, but you still have to do all the studying. You still have to know all those court cases. You still have to know um, all the, 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 the extra information around something. So maybe well, it's made some aspect of your life easier, but maybe not. Well, I mean, so in the way that I see it is it's going to take like all the boring writing out of like having to be done by humans, right? Like there's still like, you know, like writing like this, a narrative, a story that's got to be done by people. But when you're writing about like facts, you know, you know, hardcore black and white facts, it's sometimes hard as a person to write like that because it's devoid of emotion and it's boring, or at least for somebody like me. And so that's what it's doing for me. And you want to make sure that the information is correct and you can either know it yourself or you can fact check it yourself, you know, and that's kind of back to like what I was telling my 12 year old. Do you do you know for certain it's true? Like it doesn't matter who gives you the information or where you get the information from. It's your responsibility. Every person has it, and it's your responsibility to check that information. Sometimes you'll find that you know maybe the person explaining it to you didn't understand what they were saying and they got it wrong a little bit. Maybe they were just completely way off, or maybe they were dead on, and now you know more stuff, and it's reinforced because now you've heard it and you've read it, so you're more likely to retain it long term. So it's a benefit to you as a person too. Um, and I would say that's the same thing with ChatGPT. You know, if you're gonna, and again, back to like my idea, like making it like closed, so I know that all the information it's gonna spit out is my information. You know, like that's all I want to do. I wanted to write my essays for me, so I don't have to. I'll be happy to write about parenting and stories. That type of stuff is fun, but like trying to explain 
to people why we need to expand the house. I mean, it is a little boring, to be honest with you, and it's difficult to write. And I know why you guys don't want to read about it, but like, it's important. <laughs> we'll get the, the robot to do that. Just, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess the, you're right about the facts. If you, yeah, if you, if you gave it the, the set of information or you knew that it was a very small thing that you were trying to ask it and you could verify it and it's just, just kind of filling out that seventh grade, I could see that. But I think the the problem would be like, like in all things, uh, it could get misused or something where oh. it's it's just people using it for content farm for um, creation and they're just putting stuff out there because they got to put stuff out there. So, um, you know. Right. And, and, and if that's, you know, that's the risk with any new technology. Right. And yeah. that's why it's important, you know, like regulation is a bad term, you know, when it comes in a lot of sense, but it's also, it's important. Like we, you need to regulate new markets to, um, because the whole, whole point of our system is to balance all that power and, and right. new technology is new power. Right. So you have to have balancing regulation to make sure that it doesn't, you know, hurt the people that live here, you know? So mm -hmm. Um, I have one more question that I asked it um, that I thought was interesting. And this is like, this is the way that I think about politics. And you should too, realistically, if you're a citizen. And that is that everybody that is in politics is finding some way for themselves to win. They're not thinking about anything else, okay? They're not thinking about governing. They're not thinking about, you know, 10 years down the road. They're like, how can I win the next election? And right. so one of the big... Um, movements to save democracy out there is is ranked choice voting and so i've always looked at this as just a power swap you know like they're just moving the power from one place to the, to the other it's the old like mckinley uh campaign right where it's like they took it out of the party bosses but they moved it into the hands of the the advertisers and the corporations well now you've taken it and you've you know moved it out of the packs or you're like dispersing it from the packs and the parties a little bit and you're trying to put it down to the people but smart people know how to manipulate that and i said if two candidates work together during a ranked choice election would they tip the balance in their favor guess what chatbot said you bet you bet absolutely i mean like it just it doesn't take a genius to figure it out right and it's mm -hmm. only a matter of time until that method to manipulate the elections is happening once ranked choice voting is in place and so again not trying to say like don't do a ranked choice voting but you got to have regulation you got to you got to you got to see these things through otherwise people are going to take advantage or just be uh you know when it breaks down, don't be so surprised because <laughs> when it breaks down, <laughs> I mean, you've got an entire party being launched on this one idea. Okay. And mm -hmm. I know they have other ideas, but like, that's their big idea. And, and again, they've joined together with principles first and all these different groups to like save democracy. And what does democracy mean chat bot? Cause I bet you it would have a couple different answers. <laughs> I should have asked it that question. <laughs> Democracy means we win. That's what it means. Democracy means we win. All right. Well, that was fun. I love playing with Chatbot, uh, ChatGPT. I call him Chatbot. He's he's my friend now. I was sitting at lunch just asking questions and challenging as much as I could. So, but now it is time for our weekly talk about the populist leader Elon Musk. Now, notice he actually was part of that first segment because he is a founder 
of OpenAI. Uh, he's still on the board and he's still, um, you know, financially invested in the company, I believe. Um, but he stepped down in 2018. Um, what's Eli been up to lately, John? Been he's, been, he's been reneging on all of his promises. He's blocking people on Twitter. He's blocking people on Twitter. He's, you know, doing all the things he said that he wasn't going to do. And then today he uh, he tweeted out, should I step down from Twitter? I will, I will, yes or no, I will abide by this poll. And I'm like, like back to kind of what I was saying yesterday, you have this power, you have mm -hmm. this voice, you have this responsibility and you're acting like a child. Like you just like, what should I do? I'll listen to the people. Like, classic populist leader you know going at the whims of a poll on twitter <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um, like, but it's it's another thing like it, it's his company like it'd be one thing again like if he wasn't like the leader or something he was trying to get win an election or something but he could he could kick all these people off the doesn't matter like it's his company so i guess in a certain sense he's tr like uh you sent me an article like he's trying to recoup all of his investment and stuff so he's got to keep people happy and perhaps he sees bowing to the whims of the of the crowd is going to allow him to sell advertising or eight dollar month subscriptions and, th and things but um you know he uh he's definitely not really being a leader in this sense um where he's making decisions and stuff he really is trying to outsource it to to other people so that you know in a maybe it's because if it goes bad he went well i was given bad advice by the my polls I mean, that's classic populist leader is like, find somebody else to scapegoat when problems go wrong, take all the credit when problems go right. Um, Matt Lewis wrote an article in the Daily Beast this week, and he compared Elon to the last populist leader we had, Trump, and he basically called him a snowflake, you know, like, he's like, hey, he wants all the attention, he wants everything when it's when it's good, but when it's going bad, he's, you know, pointing fingers and blaming other people, and like, it's not me, it's them, and, mm -hmm. you know, really smart people do really dumb things, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, I think that what Elon, what Elon saw, um, I, it was in the, oh, it was in the, uh, the Barry Weiss article I actually wrote. So, so Matt wrote about compared, um, them to the two populist so, leaders. Mm -hmm. And then Barry Weiss just wrote a detailed article about her, um, the Twitter files. And, uh, let me pull that up real quick because there was one thing in there I wanted to go over. So if if you're not reading the free press, it's fantastic. You should subscribe. Um, so on this in this article, it says, Musk calls the Twitter he purchased a, quote, nonprofit. Twitter as it existed wasn't pursuing net earnings, but, quote, social influence, he said. Quote, this was fundamentally an activist organization, end quote. And so essentially what, what Musk was looking at is you've got this huge company with massive social influence that's only acting on their social influence. They're leaving the profit at the door. They're not even trying to make money. So what he yeah. like, if yeah. if if I'm Elon, I'm like, dang, I'm gonna go in here, I'm gonna make this company profitable, and I'm gonna use it for social influence because that's exactly what he's trying to do. And and you know he's. He's doing it by trying to gain trust by saying, hey, look what these people were trying to do to you. They were trying to manipulate you. But by the, by the way, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to make money doing it. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we'll see. But like the money that came came from advertisers and things, and it, it's the kind of if you've got uh, companies that want to further specific social goals and they're willing, like they see how Twitter is in line with those social goals. Like as soon as Twitter shifts from those particular goals they want, the, you know, the money's going to dry up. So he's got to find other advertisers that are willing to uh, take the heat in the same sense. And I think like, I just don't know if those like big companies exist, especially um, if you are going to, if you're like, if you're, you know, I hate to use the term, but if you're going to be like a woke company, like people are still going to use your product, whether or not, but if you're not going to be woke, you're going to get so much flack from that small vocal minority. Like it may not move the meat. It's not going to move the needle in the same way, but you're going to feel the pain and you're not going to want to step up to it. And you're going to run Twitter polls because you don't want to make decisions and things. So like, I don't know if you'll get the same kind of companies. Um, and then like, I, there's all these other like social networks, like you're talking about the post and stuff. I've got, um, I've heard there's this other one called Gab and things that are, they're trying to have like their own, um, their own environment, their own sphere of influence that are having basically like small companies advertising stuff. And they've kind of, they've got the subscriptions, they've got advertising and, but, and the other thing is they've got low overhead so that the, they don't have to spend millions and millions of dollars on fancy San Francisco office space. So they, um, they're able to work with it. And I think the, the, what will probably end up succeeding for Twitter is if he scales everything down so much, like he's got the same attention, but he lowers his costs in such a way that he can not take as much advertising in. He can get more money from subscribers, but he doesn't have to pay out as much per year. And so like, that'll be the real test of over the next couple of years, if he can really cut the costs, streamline the operations, because the service itself is pretty simple. Um, I mean, like there's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of, of management of, of the servers and things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, you're just sending text and that's not a whole lot in terms of, of database storage. Um, and the challenge really becomes in how do you distribute that one message to a, a lot of people in a short amount of time, but you know, like that's already built, like, you know, at this point, like you've got a car that's running, you just got to keep it running. Yeah. I mean, I keep it running is the challenge though. Right. Especially when you're going in there with the matchbook, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, yes. <laughs> and, and that's you know, again, we've talked about it. Look, Twitter was doing some stupid things, you know, like they, they, they deserve this to a degree. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't know if we deserve Elon you know, or we want Elon, but we're getting him anyways. Um, so I mentioned Barry Weiss, and uh, we talked about the free press last week. She's got a podcast called Honestly. Um, I listened to an uh, an interview she did with uh, Ro Khanna. He's a congressman from California, I believe. I believe he's the congressman of the wealthiest district in the union. So you know, and he's a progressive labor guy, you know, because he's <laughs> which like Orange County. Uh, hold on, I'll pull. I'll well. Let me pull it up here. I had him up earlier. Because, you know, Loudoun County is like the richest county in the country. So uh, uh, I think district. District. district well, because uh, yeah. Loudoun County is part of the district with Falkir and Fairfax and Prince William. No, well, a little bit of Fairfax, but the, the rich part of Fairfax. Yeah. And the rich part of Prince William County. Yeah, that's how they manipulate the system. <laughs> uh, what is going on here? Oh. So, all right. So, Rokana. You have like dead air on a podcast. We need the Jeopardy music going. 
Uh, you know what? I don't have that information. I thought I had it here. Sorry, it's it's not. But but the the key thing is like he's not your run of the mill. Yeah, uh, conservative Republican. He, yeah, and, and when, you, when you listen to him talk, I mean, I think uh, he's talking about bringing manufacturing back um, to America. He sounds sounds a lot like Donald Trump, to be honest with you. Um, and and he kind of makes that that point. But so in the interview. They're talking about Twitter and they're talking about um, how you get your voice heard. And Roe mentions that there's a video, like you could put out a video on Twitter or social media, and it can gain enough power and enough influence to be more influential than him standing on the congressional floor. I could not disagree with this more. You know, he calls it democratizing voice. And, and, and this is, you know, this is supposed to be more opportunity for people. But that opportunity is random, and it there's no calculation, there's no hard work to it, there's no responsibility to it. That that power is without responsibility, and power without responsibility is dangerous, you know, because there's no there's no checks on it. Um, I think he should be more concerned the fact that it's more powerful than him. You know, he's his district's voice. He wants his right. voice to be powerful for his district and the people that live in his district, they should have a mechanism to get heard by him so he can use it on the congressional floor to make the change that needs to be happening in the country, as opposed to go through a social media site and scream and yell or make videos and hope that catches fire because that's mm -hmm. just luck. You know, you're basically saying everybody that is in my income bracket that can have influence to me gets a say. But if you don't, you got to play the lottery and you got to yeah. go on social media and do this. And, and I have been making this point repeatedly for the last year. It's the biggest infringement on our, on our First Amendment rights is the capping of the House. You know, like it's our way. It's the organized way for people to have a say in this country. And it just it doesn't work the way that he says. And the fact that he's happy about it, it you know, made me a little frustrated. But it's it's trying to like defer and and deflect from what you like you said that like your own true leadership. But I think like um, one of the things I find in the school board is like it's it's nine people that make decisions. It's not the hundred people that public, come to public comment. Like you listen to them, and uh, ideally that would come into some kind of um, part of your calculus of making any decision. But at the end of the day, like it's your you know it's your vote on there that that matters and. You have to kind of do your homework. You have to think through the problem, but your you yelling on, on Twitter it means nothing because it's it is just a void. And sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. But it, it is that like one of nine, one of four hundred thirty-five. That's real power where you could potentially move things. Um, and if you have some kind of influence over your colleagues, like that's even more of a of a way to help sway things. But at the very least, like that vote is what's key because that's going to push a legislation, push some kind of policy and actually affect people's lives rather than some kind of video that goes viral. Maybe it sways a couple of people's minds. Maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe a few people feel bad for a while and then they just kind of forget because like, again, like these videos are a dime a dozen and they're so many every day. So one thing goes viral one day and then you're not talking about it a month later and people have moved on, but you've got the same representatives. You know, you've got the same people that are making decisions on your behalf. Well, and it's almost like, Congress, the, the congressional reps have like followed that path of like how to get their voice heard, right? Because mm -hmm. we talked about it mm -hmm. before, Nancy Pelosi or whoever's, you know, leader of the House has all the power. So yeah. um, 
you know, they go on and they do videos and they hope that it gets viral. So, you know, cause they have no power anymore. And again, like, how do you get the power back? You expand the house, you give people an opportunity again. You don't worry so much about Twitter and, and social media. You focus on like the real things. I mean, are they problems? Do we need to take care of it? Yes. But are they like prioritizing, you know, listing your problems in order and working on them one by one is important and making sure people's voice, their representation is heard is the most. I did, I asked chatbot this question and I said, what is a uh, congressional representative's job? They gave a very detailed answer with like step-by-step step of what they should do. And at the end, I don't have the paper here. Was somewhere. fundraising one of those steps? It was not, um, believe it or not. And, yeah, uh, yeah. but at the end of it, it said, Essentially, a House representative's job is to be the voice of the people, and uh, and 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 by listening to them. And I was like, boom, to listen into a form. Chatbot gets it. <laughs> um, so back to that interview. Um, they also talked about Twitter files, and they were talking about Elon. They were talking about um, the FBI and how they kind of were working with Twitter during Trump's banning. You know, after the 2020. And look, I Trump used Twitter and, and Matt talked about this in his article or maybe it was on a podcast I was listening to. I mean, I'm getting confused um, where he used Twitter to incite violence like he actually used Trump did. So, like, I'm not you know, I'm not trying to say that he should be back on or anything. But what I am saying is the FBI had a lot of um, a lot of say in there. And, and mm -hmm. Rokana was asked about this and and he scapegoats. He scapegoats the executive, all right? He says, look, you know, there's nothing that could be going on that's funny here, essentially, because it was a Republican president with a Republican nominee, FBI director, and Chris Ray. So, you know, that's their problem. It, you know, these aren't his words. This is like what I hear. Um, mm -hmm. But that's kind of what he's saying. And again, it's misunderstanding the job. It's misunderstanding the responsibility. Um, the executive play no, plays no role here. The um, What I think is more important is that we need a Congress big enough to provide proper oversight over the right. FBI so the FBI doesn't do these things willy-nilly without the American people knowing and, and, and get away with it. And the only way we find out is because some billionaire egomaniac decided to, you know, drop a load and buy, you know, a, a huge company and let all of its secrets out. You know, mm -hmm. like, again, our, our system isn't working properly and people are focused on all these external factors. And it's like, no, man. Congressional oversight is where this is at, not the executive. And you're a congressman. You should be part of this. And you're you're scapegoating. You're you're getting rid of your responsibility here. And you're not even taking taking control. And that's I know you're you know he's a Democrat, but um, you know I don't think that should play a role at all. Um, that's just me personally. <laughs> you know, as you were talking about this, the the fact that Twitter was a sort of social company where. They didn't care about making money because they knew they had some kind of ulterior motive and stuff. That's why they were able to be bought because they weren't so, so undervalued. You know, if they had been more capitalistic, they could have done the capitalism and their like social good as they would have described it. And then they wouldn't have been bought and the secrets would have never come out. So, you know, the fact that, that they tried to not uh, make the company as successful as it could have been is now to the detriment of the, whatever um, other motives they had in terms of 
trying to uh, shape society. Yeah. So one more thing they had in that interview I wanted to talk about is they talked about like reforming social media, like different ideas. He, uh, they talked about a little bit like kind of like a, almost like a governing body or like a Supreme court outside to like rectify when people are banned and whatnot. And again, and you kind of said it earlier, decentralized Twitter. Okay. Make it smaller, you know, like go to smaller companies for advertising. Don't do the big ones. I think putting offices in each state where people could go to a Twitter office and they can register and they can get themselves a blue check mark and they're verified and they're a human being checked in by a human being. And then if you ever have issues, you can go speak to a human being and you can get those issues rectified in the, and they should have an office, you know, I would say one per state, you know, it's going to be difficult if you're like live in California and you're at the Northern part and you got to drive the Southern port, but I mean, I'm sure they'll put multiple. But if it's important, I mean, like, honestly, if it's important to you, that's a a couple hours in the, in the car is much different than having to like fly across the country. Exactly. And and that's my point. It's like, it's not going to make everybody happy. It's not going to solve every problem, but it gives a better opportunity, you know? And that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's how everything is. You just want more opportunity in life, more chances to have your voice heard, to get mistakes corrected, so you can live a civil, you know, life. And I think, I think that's more of the route we should go with the whole social media thing. You know, get rid of this whole anonymous stuff. You know, where you're posting. I mean, if you if you want to be on there, fine. But then you have no recourse if you get banned. You know, if you got a spam right. account and you're 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 tweeting out stuff that's crap and you get banned and you're you're like, well, you go to your office. Well, I can't go to my office. I don't want them to know who I am. All right. Well, then you don't deserve to have your voice heard. You know, like put your name behind your voice. Um, and then and then you can move on. But uh, just some ideas. Again, I you know I can't talk uh, enough about how great the free press is and um, what they're doing and how important it is to have great journalism. So check it out. All right, John. It's time for our parenting segment. You've got one to lead off here today. Why don't you go ahead? It's just a humorous uh, anecdote, really. Um, you know, like we. Previously, we talked about asking the right question and, and a sort of like, uh, you know, why 435. But as my wife and I have kind of been, you know, it's been getting colder and stuff, we've, we've realized we've got to ask more questions like, are you wearing a coat? Are you wearing socks? And then for our little like three year old, are you wearing shoes? Because she'll just sometimes like walk out of the house into the garage and then get in the minivan and sit in her chair without any shoes on. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's about asking the right questions, you know. Uh, and in our case, it's asking, uh, are they properly clothed to be out in the, the cold? Because we've got a snowstorm coming on Thursday, which everyone's really excited about in our house. Um, and I've already called off school those next couple of days. So, you know. <laughs> Dad has that type of power. <laughs> no problems there. But it's uh, like, it's just like, you know, um, I think so much of parenting, you're trying to uh, anticipate problems that might arise. And like, you know, asking the right question is like, or if it's, they're going to school, like, did you pack a lunch? Do, uh, are you ready? For, are you ready for what's what's coming on ahead? Like, you know, the, the sort of being prepared for life, being prepared for what's coming. Ahead. Uh, I think that starts with asking if they've got their coats on before they get in the car. Um, you know, this is this is actually perfect because your thing kind of ties into what I'm doing, right? So you're you're at the beginning stage. You got the younger. You're asking them the right questions. Well, mm-hmm. so today I took. Uh, I had to go to work, like real work, you know, where I actually get paid to work, not this stuff where we we're doing it for free. Uh, where uh, I took Julia and Oliver, uh, twelve and thirteen, 
and I'm teaching them how to do my job essentially, or how to run the embroidery machines and, and run stuff. I've got Julia like trimming. Um, Oliver's been in the office before he's got a little bit more experience and <clears throat> I'm teaching him how to like hoop sleeves and run the machine and do all this stuff. I said, here's what I want you to do, Oliver. I want you to take off all the hoops on the machine. Then I want you to load the machine with new hoops. That's it. And so he does that and he presses go. And I'm like, no, 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 don't press go. I was like, did I, I was like, remember, this isn't dad. This is your boss. Okay. When you go into a job, you have to think like, what is my boss asking me to do? You need to follow the instructions. And if, if you don't know what to do, you need to ask questions. You are responsible for asking questions. I said, what happened here is you assumed what I wanted you to do next, but you also rushed because he didn't finish loading the machine. And so like, you know, we went through all that stuff later. He's hooping up and he's, he's got one hooped and he goes and sits it over there and go, Whoa, Whoa, what are you doing, buddy? And he goes, well, it's done. And I go, you gotta, you gotta have me check it over first, you know? And he looks at it and I said, does that look straight to you? <laughs> you know, back to asking the right questions, you know, instead of telling him like, this is wrong. It's like, can you see that it's wrong? Like, mm -hmm. you know, did you rush it? Like, or were you just like frustrated and you just like, we're like, I'll deal with this later. You know, what happened here? Um, and it, and in, again, like you said, asking the right, right questions is really important. Making sure they understand that it's going to be their responsibility to ask questions one day and they need to be able to do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, the whole purpose of this is like to provide my kids with skills and opportunity. I want to teach them as many different things as possible. Um, so when they become adults, the world is their oyster, as they say, right? Like they can go in any direction. They have all this opportunity and all these skills to go through. Um, I had one other, uh, two other little things that happened. I had a, like a heavy parenting day. Um, so, well, so what you were just talking about, like, um, you know, not thinking of you as a father, but thinking of him as a boss, like, that's missing so much in our society of like, you got to make your boss look good because when the boss looks good, they're going to be, they're going to, you know, help you bring you along. They're going to train you up. They're going to be more willing to work with you and kind of guide you. And I think that's such an important aspect too, is it's not just, am I doing what I was told to do, but am I going to make the people above me who are answer to someone, you know, like in your case, you answer to customers. Um, it could be like the answer to the, their boss, his boss and stuff like are they going to look good in, in front of those people? And if they're going to look good, they're going to be willing to like help you even more, you know? Um, and if they're, if you're, if they're not going to make you look good, they'll fire you or something like that. Right. And you know, that's kind of always what I try to tell my kids is like, you're working and you're doing your job so you can get to the next job, you know, like you can move up the ladder, you know, like that's the goal, but it's always good. Personally, I think start at the bottom, you know, you're going to learn the most information because you're going to have to take the most rungs. You know, when you started yeah. that ladder halfway, that's just such a weird way to start things to me, you know, <laughs> just appear halfway up the ladder, you know, you start at the ground, work your way up. Um, I had, uh, so I had Julia with me today and she did, she did great with whatnot. We left, we went, uh, went and had uh, lunch together and she's doing this thing that teenagers do where they're paying a lot of attention to their phone, you know? Mm -hmm. So we get up to order and she's like on her phone and the person says something to her and she like puts it down for a second and she gives a quick answer and she picks it right back up. I mean, and, it, and she's, she's so quick already. She's kind of like her dad and she speaks very fast and move fast. So like in her mind, she paused, but in reality it didn't, you couldn't even tell. And so, I, you know, I 
I sat her down and she was doing this at the dinner table at home too. I said, look, this is the deal. I need you to give your attention to other people, mm-hmm. not to what you want, you know, cause she's got this, the habit. It's either the attentions to the book, right. Um, which like, I love to read. I encourage reading. So maybe I'm a little it's the appropriate that. times, you know, it's about you know, the appropriate, but the appropriate right. It's the appropriate time. She'll be reading a book walking, you know, into school. And I'm like, put the book down and pay attention to walking. Um, it's like you have to give your attention to the right things at the right time. You know, there's a mm-hmm. time and a place to be on your phone, and that's not when you're ordering your food. You need to give your attention to the customer service person behind their desk so they can understand you and get your order right and just treat them with respect. They're a person. Look them in the eye, smile, have a conversation with them. You know, like these are things that are really important that I want my children to understand um, as opposed to giving the attention to the tool, giving the attention mm-hmm. to the technology. Again, it's great, but just in the right moments, you know? Yeah. It's true. No, I'm, and like just being aware of your surroundings, like that's such a key, key aspect. And also, you know, it's an act of charity too. When someone expects something from you and you're willing and you're able to uh, uh, respond, um, you know, like that's just, you know, respecting them as a human, respecting the situation. Well, yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's lost, you know, like um, so many people are so kind of like busy and, and whatnot. And, and just the younger generation, you know, they've, they've grown up with those devices in their hand from birth, essentially. Um, We, we restrict them at our house uh, probably more than most, although I think it's becoming more normal. I think most families are getting to the stage where we are, where they're like, you know, we're just not going to have them on during the week. You know, this is a special privilege. And, and, and that's good, but it's already done its damage, you know, and it's already in the schools everywhere. It's hard to avoid. Um, and it's just about setting limitations and, you know, regulations, you know, limitations, yeah. moderation, you know, personal choices, you know, um, I want my kids to be able to have these things because they're important and they're great tools, but I want them to treat them with responsibility. And then Absolutely. I want to treat people with respect. Um, and it can be difficult at times. <laughs> yes it can yes it can yeah all right well that was a great episode john what do you think i loved it i loved it and i can't wait to see what G- chat gpt thinks about it in a couple of years once uh it's been ingested into the system that's right chat gpt is going to be all over this <laughs> right. parents parent <laughs> politics and parenting is a great podcast but two guys just care you know they All right. So uh, reminder, we've got our Madisonian Republican meetings coming up uh, starting in 2023. Our first one is going to be on January 21st at Giuseppe's from four to six. You can go on our website, madisonianrepublicans.com right now and RSVP. Uh, Please hurry. You don't want to run out. We have uh, our goal is 50, but we have a cap of I think it was 80 or 90 people in the room. So make sure you RSVP as soon as possible so we can make sure the accommodations are met and uh, you know you get a spot because you're going to want to be there, I promise. It'll be good. It will be good. Uh, we've practiced all these uh, these talks before, so there'll be nothing, nothing um, you, well, it'll be polished. It'll be polished. It'll be new. It'll be different. It'll be fun. <laughs> So um, like the uh, like the podcast, please subscribe, like, and share. Um, we've been doing really well. Thank you 
so much for listening out there. We really do appreciate it. Um, over 700 downloads now, which is fantastic. It looks like we're uh, we're averaging about uh, somewhere about 80 downloads per week right now, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, massive improvement. We really appreciate all the support and love. And uh, like I said, like, share, check out my Instagram, check out our Twitter feed, you know, needle Elon every now and then. And just remember, peace and love. <laughs>